This is Word for the Week, exploring a balanced view of Scripture for the wholeness of life, for wisdom, understanding, and growth. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Word for the Week, Season 2, Episode 14. And this week, our word is Hosanna. And we're going to discuss seven things you may not know about Palm Sunday. Okay, let's start with maybe a few facts that we do know. So what do you know about Palm Sunday? Palm Sunday is part of the Easter season, and it's always the Sunday before Easter. Mm -hmm. And some people will say Resurrection Sunday, which is Mm -hmm. actually more precise to the Christian uh, perspective. Right. And so what else do you know? Palm Sunday is also known for basically two things. Okay. Palm branches. Mm-hmm. And of course, those are a favorite of kids everywhere. Right. I, I don't know about you, but uh, I felt quite deprived if I didn't get my palm frond yes. on Palm yes. Sunday. Or if mine wasn't as big as the other that, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's a Just account. to measure them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to even touch that line. Okay. And the second thing is the triumphal entry. Okay. And what can you tell us... Uh, in a nutshell, in a triumphal entry. <laughs> it was Christ arriving on a donkey, okay. riding on a donkey. Okay, i got a question for you. Call this okay. uh, trivia to impress. Uh, <laughs> Jerusalem has eight gates, and to mm-hmm. the old city, the um, the old wall, eight gates. Right. Which of those eight gates did like I'm you... on a quiz show. Yes, you are, and, and the prize is me. Uh, <laughs> which of those eight gates uh, did Jesus enter through? Well, since he came down from the Mount of Olives, it would have been the Eastern Gate, known as the Golden Gate, also known as the Beautiful Gate. Well, and you won the beautiful prize. Here I am. (laughs) Uh, And there's something unique about that gate as well. It's the only of the eight that was deliberately sealed up. Hmm. Yeah, and I hadn't hadn't realized that. Why is that? Uh, Well... Uh, our good friends at uh, gutquestions.com, love looking up stuff with them. Uh, this is just an excerpt on uh, how they address that very question. Okay. In Ezekiel ten eighteen through 19, the prophet sees the glory of the Lord leaves the temple through the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house. The glory then moves east of the city to the Mount of Olives. That's Ezekiel eleven twenty three. Later, Ezekiel sees the glory of the Lord return to the temple via the gate facing east. Ezekiel 43, 1 through 5. Then in Ezekiel 44, 1 and 2, we read of the gate being closed. The man brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, the one facing east, and it was shut. The Lord said to me, this gate is to remain shut. It must not be opened. No one may enter through it. It is to remain shut because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered through it. And finally, in Ezekiel 46, 12, we read that there is one person, a prince, who may enter via the eastern gate. And when the prince provides a free will offering to the Lord, the gate facing east is to be opened for him. Then he shall go out, and after he has gone out, the gate will be shut. Hmm. Wow, you really memorized a lot of scripture there. <laughs> uh-huh. But, uh, and yeah, just a little side note too, is that um, in the transcript, all of these things are hyperlinked. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of... Uh, wow, a lot of extra information if you yeah. were to go through the hyperlinks in the transcript. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, there, there you go. You have this um, uh, from Ezekiel giving us a, a background on that. And uh, in the Hebrew, there's actually yet another name for it. Um, 
Let's see if we this can. This is all yours. This is all mine. See if mm-hmm. I can say this correctly. Sha'ar Ha'amim, uh, which means the gate of mercy. So uh, this is um, the setting. That's how we're getting at here. This is the setting in which this fateful Passover happens with uh, Jesus entering into the city. Right. And, and all this was to a large welcoming crowd, which brings us to the seven facts we're discussing today. Okay, so let's start off with the first easy one. Okay. Um, Palm Sunday coincides with the highest Jewish holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just going to ask you, as someone who grew up the town, I, this was fascinating to me from the different area I grew up in, but you grew up in a town that was I wouldn't say predominantly, but significantly, mm-hmm. would you say even predominantly Jewish? It was when I was young. When yeah. you were young, it was predominantly Jewish. And, and so you, you got a lot of firsthand uh, view into the at least the modern Jewish community. And, and I really do wish that I had taken more time. Because when, when you're young, you, you don't yeah. think about that sort of thing. Sort but of, anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so we all say that. Um but anyway, a Passover, of course, in the Hebrew is Pesach. Mm-hmm. Oops, and I've got into yours. Can and you say you that? Say, pa- yeah. say it again. Pesach. Pesach. There you go. I was just <laughs> just love having you spit at me like that. Is the uh, and that, of course, is the more more formal Jewish name for Passover. Right. And and I was just curious in your town, you were. I don't ever remember hearing them say that, and yeah. I, and I think it because it was overshadowed by. The school system did did Easter. Uh-huh. You know, we also had a lot of Jewish holidays when they mm-hmm. were other times of the year, but mm-hmm. that one coincided. So we didn't really, you know. Well, I can tell you this. Remember Zeppi's bagels? Yes. Zeppi bagel, yeah. Zeppi's bagels. When Leah gave a Hebrew calendar, it did have actually the uh, Hebrew names on it. So, mm-hmm. But yeah. that was probably my first experience with actual um, uh, some of the um, the Hebrew um writings and teachings. So that was pretty interesting. So anyway, what we're getting at is uh, Passover is is an extremely significant part of Palm Sunday. Um, uh, As a matter of fact, you can't understand Palm Sunday if you have no understanding of Passover. And the uh, Passover uh, celebrates God's delivering his people, uh, in this case from Egypt, but it's the uh, whole thing of deliverance. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, that forged them into a nation. And as the account is told in Exodus chapter 12, uh, when the angel of death came, uh, of course, the, the way it was, uh, it's uh, presented to us in Exodus, the um, uh, angel of death sent by God would pass over the Hebrew homes if they had the blood of the lamb uh, that they were told to sacrifice on the doorpost. And hence the word Passover, he passed over and their homes would be saved. Right. And then a thousand years later, when John the Baptist first sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's John one twenty nine. Right. And this time, not just a lamb, but the lamb delivering yeah. his people. Right. And what's interesting is the um, it's the same theme, the deliverance theme, a thousand years later, almost to the day, <laughs> you know, mm. uh, uh, it comes into uh, into a complete fruition, and it's it's uh, after a thousand years of God's economy of justice and mercy being lived out in the people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, I just this was just a side thought I was thinking. But you have Passover, which was this deliverance of God's people. Then 
on the Passover, a thousand years later, you have the coming of the Messiah that was promised. Right. I, I just thought, wouldn't that be kind of an interesting, beautiful symmetry if the return of Christ also happened on a Passover? And it doesn't say that anywhere, but I, I, I just thought that that would be kind of interesting. It really would, and uh, but we have to keep in mind that Jesus said in Matthew um, twenty four thirty six. Nobody knows the day or hour. So, um, yeah. Anyway, just a thought. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, fact number two: it was all planned in advance. Right, and um, you know, this is—I don't know how this will hit people, but in the overall understanding, this is very important. And uh, in that, here's two passages I'm going to have you read, just to yeah. you know, kind of give us food for thought. Okay, Matthew 21, 1 through 3. Now when they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples telling them, Go to the village ahead of you, and right away you'll find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anybody says anything to you, you are to say, The Lord needs them, and he'll send them at once. And then Luke twenty-two seven through 12. Then the day for the feast of unleavened bread came, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us to eat. They said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, Listen, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room that where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he'll show you a large furnished room upstairs. Make preparations there. All right. Thank you for that fairly extensive reading in there. And, and the, the point we're, we're getting at with this is that um, some people may suspect or, or believe that it was simply by, well, Jesus is God. He had this prophetic vision of who he had what where, and it was just set up. Mm-hmm. Um, others may say uh, that it was just plain old practical uh, preparation, which really makes sense because we know that Jesus had friends in, in Bethany that right. was near Jerusalem and, and probably knew several people in Jerusalem. So the fact is he may have set it up just like anybody else would. Mm-hmm. Either way, it's missing the point if that's where you kind of, uh, you know, park your car is or park your mind or thinking whatever. Uh, as as we look at it, what really matters is the fact that it was very deliberate. The, yes. d- Jesus was planning something out right to the letter, if you will, and with a complete understanding of, of, of how the whole thing was going to come down. That's where we're going with yeah, it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, all right, let's <clears throat> continue on with our okay. facts um, to show how this worked. Fact mm. number three, we call it Palm Sunday. Why the palms? Okay, and, I, and we'll have to warn people as we go along, there's more and more history to mm-hmm. each of these facts as we come along. And uh, everybody may have a bit of understanding on this, but let's start with the actual scene. Of, in, uh, we'll use the Gospel of Matthew and get you to read from chapter 21. Okay, the scene went like this in Matthew 21. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed him. This is verse 6. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the, gr- on the road. The crowds that went ahead and went ahead of him, and those follow, following kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
And as he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was thrown into an uproar, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Hmm. So as you read through that, you know, you think you understand what's going on, but there's actually a, a kind of a three-tier answer to this question is what's with the fronds, uh, the palm fronds. And the first starts with this, is that uh, they were actually involved in the ritual of uh, the ancient Passover anyway. What would happen is worshipers would carry this this bundle of uh, plants, I can't say flowers, mm-hmm. and it would contain palm branches and myrtle mm-hmm. and willow branches. It was called a lalab, and they carried these lalabs, and they went to, um, uh, during each day of the seven-day you know, feast, each day of this feast or festival, they would march in the temple around the great altar of burnt offering. You can see all these people just hmm. marching around the, um, the, uh, the that large altar, and on the seventh day, they would uh, march with the lalabs mm-hmm. and sing uh, Psalm 118 as well, that specific psalm, which we'll get into more later. Mm-hmm. The second layer of this story is, is laying the palm branches on the ground or on the road was extending, if you will, the, the royal red carpet. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, Simon Maccabeus and if, if uh, depending on what uh, Bible you have, the Catholic or the the Hebrew uh, scripture has the book of Maccabees in there. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So uh, Simon Maccabeus was a, um, if they made Marvel comics back in the day, <laughs> Simon would be in there. Uh, how his story goes is the Syrians under the, um, the Greek um, leader, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, this happened a century and a half before, Antiochus, uh, really wanted to uh, do away with, uh, get them to forget all this Jewish stuff and get them to think like Greeks. So he went into the temple and offered pigs on the altar, uh, on the temple altar to Zeus. So you can imagine what a bad guy this Antiochus, I mean, yeah. talk about your supervillains. This guy was seriously bad to the Hebrew people. Mm-hmm. Well, on the other end, Simon Maccabeus and his crew they uh, went and defeated Antiochus, and uh, of course he became a, a huge um, a hero of Israel. So <clears throat> I mention all this to say that when Antiochus returned uh, to Jerusalem after this great victory and was going to cleanse the temple, he laid uh, they laid branches, these uh, palm branches, down in front of him uh, like a red carpet for you know. So you're talking this serious conquering king type of stuff Hmm. so you've got the conquering king side of it then thirdly there's the religious red carpet Um, Hmm. now we know that they were expecting an anointed one the messiah the the, the deliverer uh, uh, of israel to come and especially now they were under the thumb of Rome. They just got up, you know, done with the Greeks. Here you go with the Romans now. Mm-hmm. And so they were really looking for this conquering king. Mm-hmm. They were looking for another David or, or Simon Maccabeus. So they, they uh, laid out these palms as a religious expression. So not just a, a king, but also the Messiah all in, in one shot. Wow. Yeah, that's, that, that is a lot. I mean... Uh... Yes, yeah, so there was a whole lot of history coming down when they laid those palms down. Yeah. So. Okay, fact number four. 
As they were laying down their cloaks and palm branches on the road, they were shouting and singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, so let's tell everybody what exactly that means. <laughs> well, well, here's another question for you, too. As, as we talked about the other thing. Was there any time in, from when you were a kid to, mm -hmm. to now, um, you know, Easter's coming along and singing songs. Hosanna comes up in some song somewhere. You've been singing it every year for, you know, the for your entire Christian life. Did you ever stop and wonder, wait a minute, what does that word mean? <laughs> Not till I got older, yeah, right. but um, it was just what you sang. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> just a, it's like, I don't know, somebody's name, I don't know. and uh, Like a lot of things, even... You know, as you're reading the Bible and you go through these things, you just, there's so many facts that you just gloss over because either you you just don't have the, now with Google and, and computers, I mean, you yeah, can people, find out anything you want, you want to find out. Yeah, so people tend to look more. Uh, well, yeah, just one thing on this. I think every time I read this line, I, hmm. this must say how good the song is. I don't know. Michael W. Smith's <laughs> song, do you remember back yeah. then? Um, how do they, blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Oh, that's the best version of that song I've ever heard. Uh, but uh, anyway. We'll um, have to do a track for another reason. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe not with me singing on it. Uh, but anyway. Uh, in this whole multi-layer thing we're talking about, there's another thing. There's a whole load of history behind this. And Hosanna really isn't a word. It is um, a sentence, you know, in, in effect. But by this time, in an explanation, it'd be the same way that people say, hail Caesar, hail the king. Mm -hmm. It became an exclamation of, of that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But even as they used it that way, everybody knew there was a deeper meaning to it. Now, we talked about Psalm 118 a little earlier. Right. Uh, the roots actually go back into that psalm, and you can learn a lot about what Hosanna means actually from the psalm. So I thought, well, we'll just get you to read a, this snippet from Psalm 118. Sure, 25 through 27. Please, Lord, deliver. Please, Lord, grant us success. May the one who comes in the name of the Lord be blessed. We will pronounce blessings on you in the Lord's temple. The Lord is God, and he has delivered us. Right, and now it was believed this was the the uh, psalm from um, based on Nehemiah when they rebuilt the wall. It was it, what they chanted when Simon Maccabeus came in. So it ha it was a victory chant on one hand, but it was also obviously a cry for deliverance, right. and it carried the uh, "You saved us in the past, save us now." So you have that kind of thing going on. Mm -hmm. But Hosanna, uh, it, as it's written in the psalm yeah, you itself. Said it was a sentence. Yeah, it's a sentence. And it's really two words. It's uh, the first word, Yesa, which would mean the Savior, Deliverer, Avenger, um, and Na, which could mean like now or we pray or please. So um, if you translated it in in the spirit of it uh, into English, it would probably be something like, please save now, please save now. Mm. That's kind of the way it would be. And this plea... Um, it's a very the, urgent thing. It's a very urgent thing, and it's only to one person, if you will. Mm. Only to one person, to God himself. It's not something that is said to another person. It's only to God, so it is also a term of worship. Uh, a, a prayer only to the Lord himself. And in, in the original Hebrew, it was said as Hoshiana, Hoshiana. 
And of course, the New Testament, we're now Greek. into Greek. And so the Greek version of the Hebrew word became Hosanna. Oh. So as the crowd was shouting it, it also implied that it was in the uh, in the psalm piece you wrote, uh, be the be the Messiah and be successful at being the Messiah. So Messiah, be successful. <laughs> successful. You know, success to the Messiah uh, is another way you might interpret it. So blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord was also used as a traditional greeting. It was based in 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 scripture, of course, but. It, it, it that was something you might say to another person. You, you meet in Jerusalem uh, during Passover and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So that's something you could mm -hmm. say. But once again, in the original intent, it went further than that. It was the idea of um, the Messiah came from God to do God's work and, uh, and, and to be the Messiah. So the blessed is he originally referred to the Messiah who came in the, in the name of the Lord. So uh, there's a whole lot said in the word Hosanna. I see that. And so now if we put all that together, mm -hmm. when the crowd was saying this, they were addressing a king Messiah who was coming to conquer and get rid of all the enemies of Israel. All right, that's basically, and, and you can imagine the tension in the city because mm. there's a large crowd saying this publicly, and they're saying it to this individual who the priests at the time, they were looking for him privately just to arrest him, and now here he is publicly uh, coming in with this word Hosanna being said. So, yeah, big big deal there. Wow. Okay. Um well, that takes us to our next fact, okay. which is fact number five. Fact number five. It was customary for Passover pilgrims to enter Jerusalem on foot. But, yeah, but Jesus is riding on, all, of all things, a donkey. So what's that all about? Well, if you talk to our good friend Kitsy Palace, she'll say <laughs> that it was her donkey, George, <laughs> who's who's uh, lived a long time. Um, anyway, yeah, that's a plague for, for Kitsy's Christmas book, if you but here's the thing. Let's just even make it a little louder. I don't mean Kitsy. I mean the, th the original thing. <laughs> this is. Kitsy's book is great. Is that when you were uh, kind of two things going on here. One is uh, the Mount of Olives is where Jesus would have been coming from. Mm -hmm. It's not very far. Now, this guy was a class A hiker, right? They walked Marked everywhere. All, yeah. Yeah. So he didn't need a ride for two miles. So mm -hmm. that whole thing is right there you have to wonder mm -hmm. and uh, it's got to be significance to do that right, right. So. and then he he also um made all these special preparations to not just ride a donkey but to get this uh female donkey that had a, a colt and yeah. that had never been ridden before so mm -hmm. whatever he was doing with his donkey turned out to be very intentional mm -hmm. and and that's um somewhere where <laughs> The backstory really is important thing going on there. So right. I'm going to drop you back into Matthew 21. Okay. And, and this may help us understand a little bit about why Jesus was so intentional. Matthew 21, 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Tell the people of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, unassuming and seated on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. Right. So, you know, as we've seen from 
from everything that we've read so far, imagine this huge mob of people and they're all shouting Hosanna, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's just this roar of people going on. So they're at this point, they're not going to hear too much what Jesus says. So he's going to show them. So in effect, here's what here's what goes on because I mean it was all Bible speak back in that day in particular. They were saturated in it. Mm-hmm. So the people were making their claim from Psalm 118. Here he comes, the conquering uh, uh, King Messiah, right. and Jesus is responding with Zechariah 9:9. Zechariah 9:9, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is legitimate and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a young donkey, the foal of a female donkey. Right, and and this was uh, a big deal. We say, okay, well, that's fine. Uh, but to them, it, this is how powerful the message was. When a king conquered like uh, uh, Maccabeus, he came back riding into the city on his war horse. Yeah, yeah the giant. giant. Yeah, yeah. yeah this, you know, that, that's it. A king who was coming on a donkey was a whole other thing. The royalty, but a donkey, unlike so much here, a donkey was a pretty noble animal in the Middle East, but he represented humility and peace. Mm-hmm. So instead of having a king coming as a conquering warrior, you have one coming in peace, the king of peace. So uh, coming in, and of course, where Zechariah has already set up the the prophecy some seven centuries before, Jesus is living out the very words of Zechariah on the king of peace. That's really something. So what's really going on, the crowd was expecting Messiah. And Jesus was, for the first time, publicly claiming to be the Messiah. Right. But they had two very different ideas of what the Messiah really right. was. And yeah. so how does that fit in with the next fact, which is fact number six? There were really two different crowds in Jerusalem that week. Yeah. And and this is something I have to say. Uh, I'm, I'm guilty of it, too, is that um, uh, thinking of, of one big, almost schizophrenic crowd that, mm-hmm. um, you know, that they changed their mind completely in seven days. And I don't think that's quite how it went. Like, I start with this, is that Israel, ancient Jerusalem in Israel, uh, back in that day, is estimated to be 100,000 people lived there. Uh, that was a big city in that time. Yeah. Well, it was estimated by the historians even in that day that during uh, this high festival of mm. Passover, there was as much as 2.7 million people in the city during that time. And you can only imagine them, all of them wanting to be in the tabernacle or, mm-hmm. or in the uh, temple. Yeah. So it was an amazing thing. So you had a lot of people with a lot of opinions in one place going on there. So Yeah. Um, and, and we know this, just previous to this, Lazarus had been raised from the dead. That's but, uh, right. Um, I yeah. think about a week. Yeah, roughly, yeah, a week And, and this happened in the suburbs of Jerusalem, so mm-hmm. there was a lot of witnesses. Right. And the crowd, you know, the word had spread through the crowd, and that crowd meshed with this huge, what did you say, 2.7 million? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I just can't imagine yeah, that kind of a swell. Swell, yeah. And 
then, so that you had this Lazarus crowd, if you will, and they wanted to greet the man who could raise somebody from the dead. Who, right. I mean, that would be a normal thing to do. Right. <laughs> yeah, and and there you go. Is that you had all these folks? So that as this Lazarus crowd, as we say, came in, they mixed around with people. A lot of people would be convinced from what they said. So you had this contingent from these millions of people that were really kind of sold on the Messiah. Now, granted, mm -hmm. everybody out there with the palm branches, some of them may have were just curiosity seekers. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, there was a lot of them that uh, that was their way of thinking. Now, <clears throat> out of 2.7 million people, you had a bunch of folks who never even heard of Jesus. Mm -hmm. They were coming to the Passover for the reason... They're coming from a long way. Yeah, anybody born... You know, if their family was from that, they traveled there. Yeah, you had some folks coming from a long ways yeah. off, uh, never heard of them. So they're coming for Passover for what Passover is, right? Mm -hmm. It's a, It was this Old Testament um, uh, uh, high uh, holy day, as we said. Mm -hmm. So they were devoted. The, the chief priests were a main part of the Passover. I mean, it, right. you know, it, right. with the sacrifices and everything. So if they came uh, and they heard the chief priests and the religious authority, they're saying something, then by golly, that was going to be the truth of it all. Mm -hmm. And so you had this conservative uh, religious crowd as well. Mm -hmm. And and so if if the high priest said Jesus is bad, well, by golly, it must be true. And then on top of that, we know that in by Easter, by Easter Sunday, by Good Friday, you know, we get it right. through all of that stuff, that the, the priests went even further and they paid people to incite in the crowd. So if you believe them and they're going to pay you anyway, well, by golly, you know, you're going to act. So you really had these two crowds going on. And uh, sometimes, like I say, in the Easter reflection, I th I've been guilty of this somewhat myself, as you, you think of it as all as this one large crowd who just yeah. totally changed their mind. But I think we lose something in the reality when we oversimplify it like that is is that um, the, another thing can happen when you have it goes on even to this day is that if you have a large crowd and there uh, another crowd is even louder and larger you by intimidation you can fall silent and mm -hmm. you find these two large crowds just kind of talking past each other Sounds a lot like today. <laughs> There's no right. I, I mean, humanity is very fickle spiritually. I mean, it, there's no question about that. Yeah. Well, we are, but and even as we are so fickle, not to oversimplify, because I think we might we might lose an important lesson in the dynamic of what was really going on there in this split opinion that yeah. was uh, wafting through the city. And the same thing goes on to this very day. Yeah, it sure does. Okay, fact number seven, Jesus left the committed crowd confused. <laughs> right. So, and this is kind of back to the Lazarus crowd, if you will. And, so, um, and each gospel, this is rather interesting, each gospel will present everything in a slightly different slant. Um, Matthew is more in on the uh, divinity of it, and, and yeah. John is so high on the authority of, of what Christ had done. So in John's gospel, this thing happens where there are Greek followers who, who are Greek seekers who come. Um, who knows? They, they probably were proselytites. Maybe they were just there to see what's going on. But one thing was for sure. They wanted to see this Jesus to see what this was all about. Yeah. And as he's answering them, he's also, which is interesting, 
because here is what's about to happen with the Messiah. He's talking to the Gentile world and the Hebrew world at the same time. And and, uh, and so we'll have you pick it up from John chapter 12. Okay, verse 24. I tell you the solemn truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. The one who loves his life destroys it. And the one who hates his life in this world guards it for eternal life. If anyone wants to serve me, he must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be too. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is greatly distressed. And what should I say? Father, deliver me from this hour? No, but for this very reason I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard the voice said that it had thundered. Others said it was an angel that had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice has has not come for my benefit, but for yours. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now he said this to indicate clearly what kind of death he was going to die. You know, just just as before you go on, I didn't remember, you know, it's kind of an interesting thought. I didn't remember this was one of the times there's three that I could think of where God in heaven, the Father, spoke, spoke. directly. Yeah, I was thinking of that yeah. when I was reading that, yeah. And each time, it's like this. And, and it makes me really think is that there are those, maybe they're the most distant. For, they heard something going on, and they said to them it was nothing more than thunder. Hmm. And then there was others that thought they heard a voice, but they couldn't make out what it what it was saying. Hmm. And only, you know, with, with those, maybe Christ alone, who heard exactly what was going on. But um, yeah. isn't it interesting? Here's, here's a case of God speaking directly. Right. And of course, uh, and as I, sorry for interrupting. No, but that's right. Now there you are on. on Verse uh, 34. Yeah. Then the crowd responded, we have heard from the law that Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is the son of man? And Jesus, Jesus replied, the light is with you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness may not overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he went away and hid himself from them. Well, this here is just absolutely incredible, because here, if you think about it in... Uh promotional terms jesus had it in the bay he came in the city he was carrying out things in a way they understood with the donkeys and all of that uh to a point Uh, they were laying down the palm branches man here's our messiah he 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 had it all worked out and then he turns around he starts saying things that they would understand and then he's wait a minute what he he turns the yeah the whole (laughs) message around and he leaves them really utterly confused. This, yeah. the, they were expecting, like you you had concluded, this this conquering king that right. was coming to purge the Holy Land. Right. And, and first, he doesn't talk about conquest at all. The first thing out of his mouth when he's talking <laughs> is about seeds falling in the ground and dying is like, what's that? Right. Uh, and then, then there will be a great harvest. There will be this wonderful victory of the, which you long for, but it's going to come through this sacrificial death. You know, what are you talking about? And then 
they understood that um, uh, he would reign forever, and this sounds like he's about to leave town. Uh, and when he talks about being lifted up, there's a double meaning in this, too. Because in the actual word, to be lifted up on high would be a, a thing of being extolled in dignity. That's, right. uh, you know, to lift someone up. But there was also the understanding there was one way at that time, you would be physically lifted up on high, and it wasn't in dignity. It was on a on a Roman cross of execution. Right. So he was in one way, and then that would be even more confusing. It's like, okay, you're going to be extolled, and you're going to have dignity, but you're going to die in the most uh, undignified way known to man. And, right. and they were they were just completely confused. Uh, you're talking like you're leaving, you know, it's, it's just, yeah. what, what are you saying? So even his committed crowd now was in, in complete confusion in this. So. Right. Uh, how about the term son of man? How does that yeah. fit in? I don't know. Did that ever get you to? There's another question to <laughs> to ask you. I always said, why wouldn't, why did Jesus use that term son of man so often? What? We we think of him and call him the son of God. Mm-hmm. So why the son of man? And uh, the truth of it, of it is, it goes back to Daniel chapter 7 uh, with with a deeper understanding to the Jewish people. So, hey, let's go back to Daniel chapter 7 and have you read a bit. Sure. Jan- Daniel seven thirteen and 14. I was watching in the night visions, and with the clouds of the sky, one like a son of man was approaching. He went up to the Ancient of Days and was ex- escorted before him. Can't talk today. To him was given ruling authority, honor, sovereignty. To all peoples, nations, and language groups were serving him. His authority is eternal and will not pass away. His kingdom will not be destroyed. So, the Son of Man is—it's another name for the Messiah. And since his kingdom never ends, they assumed he'd be around forever. I can't blame him. It kind of makes sense. And and that was the whole idea with this term, son of man. And he's using it all all the time himself. Okay, here comes the kingdom that will never end. So, well, I guess he's he's here and and this kingdom will never end. So, um, uh, I couldn't possibly put it better than this. There's some some great commentary out on this, but William Barclay to me takes the um, that uh, great Scottish a scholar takes uh, tops on this. So I thought I'd have you read not his full commentary, but just relating to this this thing of the Son of Man to, um, to have you uh, read part of his excerpts. Okay. Hardly any passage in the New Testament would come with such a shock to those who heard it for the first time as this. It begins with a saying which everyone would expect, and it finishes with a series of sayings which were the last thing anybody would expect. To the Jews, the Son of Man stood for the undefeatable world conqueror sent by God. So Jesus says, the hours come when the Son of Man must be glorified. When he said that, the listeners would catch their breath. The first sentence which Jesus spoke would excite the hearts of those who heard it. Then began a succession of sayings which must have left them staggered and bewildered by their sheer incredibility, for they spoke not in terms of conquest, but in terms of sacrifice and death. We'll never understand Jesus nor the attitude of the Jews to him until we understand how he turned their ideas upside down, replacing a dream of conquest with a vision of a cross. Yep, and Mm -hmm. and of all things, Palm Sunday 
is one of those um, accounts scripture that the more you understand the backstory uh, of what it's, the more powerful the whole uh, mm-hmm. story becomes and the more understandable, obviously. Right. Um, so I, I would say this, so as, as kind of we did, man, it was a fire hose, just this, you know, we, we really laid it out in these uh, these seven points. But it would be a win for anyone if they even just came away with this, is that God came with such intentionality to do and to say uh, what was going to happen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. all telling us even beforehand exactly what was going on and then having that go on. Uh, it was no miscalculation. There mm-hmm. was nothing left to happenstance. This is the way uh, that it was going to go down. So. And, and how slow we can be to grasp you know the whole thing ourselves yeah. And, yeah. You know. we, we sh- certainly can't blame that uh, no. Hebrew crowd we're much the same way even to this day well that's Palm Sunday it certainly and is <laughs> we'll, we'll take us out of this episode with our highlighted song which is thank you Lord for all that he has done for us and until next week Hosanna, Hosanna. blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Blessed is he who, who comes, comes in the name of the Lord. Lord. I promise not to sing it anymore. <laughs> I'll leave it to my expert wife on that. Have a good week. With a grateful heart, with a
You can also catch our live stream on Canaan Community's Facebook, YouTube, or your favorite podcast app.